morning, everyone. My name is Jason Boker, and I'll be reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. Couldn't hear me? I'll talk like this. So that's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. His divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they may keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be rich, rich. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and you are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Thanks, Jason. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this amazing day, this day that you've made, and that we can be glad and rejoice in it because you are good and you are loving and that you are sovereign. You are on your your throne working your goodwill and purpose. And God, I pray that um, as uh, I pray for the protection of your holy word this morning, I pray, Lord, that as we... um, take a closer look at uh, Peter's inspired words on these pages. God, I pray that we wouldn't um, just leave here um, knowing more. But God, I pray that we would leave here uh, knowing more that um, compels us and drives us to want to live our lives in submissive obedience to you. Not to gain anything, but because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. So God, help me stand behind the word. I pray, God, that Holy Spirit, that you would just change each of us, no matter where we're at, uh, change each of us um, from the inside out. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. So we are in Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. And um, the title of the sermon is A Strong Faith. Or another way to put it is a, a strong Christian. And have you ever heard somebody, you ever um, heard somebody say he or she is a strong Christian? You ever heard that before? 
he or she, yeah, yeah, I know them. They're a strong Christian. And the question is, what, what does it mean to be a strong Christian or to have a, a strong faith? And Peter's going to address that today. Um, as Jeff said earlier, our mission here at WCC is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, it's really, uh, that mission is based off of Matthew 28, where our call as a church and our call as, as uh, Christians is to go and make disciples. Um, let, me, let me actually read it to you, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Um, and we're probably going to be putting less and less scriptures up on the screen, so I want to encourage you that if you've got a phone or an iPad or a Bible to, uh, to bring it, use it. And if you don't have one, there's some back on the, on the, uh, behind that post there. Um, and you're welcome to take those with you as well. But Jesus said this. These are, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he um, left this planet and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus said this, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think we miss a lot of times. We, we, we get the part where we're to go make disciples. But, but disciples, the definition of a disciple is one who follows after Jesus and obeys everything Jesus said. It doesn't save us. It doesn't cause him to love us anymore. But it is a response to everything that he has already accomplished in our lives. I'm, I borrowed something here, an, an, an illustration from Francis Chan. I want to actually give it up front, but I put it in my own context. So I want to, just for those of you that have listened to some of Francis Chan's stuff, I didn't want you to um, have somebody sue me for copyright infringement. But you know the game uh, Simon Says? Anybody played the game Simon Says? You know, some of you younger people, there's no app, so you've not played that before. But, but Simon says, if Simon says, tap your head, you what? You, you tap your head. When Jesus says, obey me, it means obey me. In, in Matthew 20, 28, some of you have heard Matthew 28 hundreds of times. Um, I would guess that there's some of you here that have actually memorized some, uh, Matthew 28, that were to go make disciples baptizing them in, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe everything I've commanded. You know it. You've got, you've got it memorized. And I want to give you an example in my own context that I borrowed from Francis Chan. My daughter Natalie has two daughters. She's got Genevieve, who's five, and she's got Lydia, who is three. And if my daughter Natalie were to tell Lydia, uh, uh, Evie, Genevieve, who's five, to go clean your room, and then two hours later, Genevieve comes back to my daughter Natalie and says, I memorized it. You said, Dad, you said, Mom, that I, you said, Genevieve, clean your room. And then she says, you know, Dad, I also learned to say, um, Genevieve, clean your room in Greek. I learned that. And then in a couple hours, all my friends are coming over, and we're going to study about what it means to clean our room. That's the way some of us approach God's word and, um, and living as disciples. Why is it that we think that we can live our lives any way we choose? 
at the end of the day, God does not care about, nor is he glorified in how much we know. I'll say it again. He, is not, he does not care, and he is not glorified by how much we know. He is glorified when our lives are submitted to him in joyful obedience in response to what he has already done. That's what glorifies him. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a strong faith? Do you have a strong faith that is characterized not by knowledge, but by a knowledge that leads to obedience of Jesus Christ? The theme of Peter's second letter that we're going through is um, increasing knowledge in view of present dangers or present circumstances. And this theme is not about acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge in order to pass some type of of quiz, but a knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord that leads to multiplying or increasing grace and peace. And it's a multiplying grace and peace that, that strengthens us to be able to withstand the pressures from this fallen world that we live in and to be able to discern truth from error. And Peter starts out in verse 2, he says, Believer, may the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. Grace, as we talked about last week, is the common Greek word for, great, for greeting. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it means free gift. It's nothing we earned. And grace is the, found, is the fountain of salvation, but it's also the stream of foundation. We're saved by grace, but we're also carried along by grace. We should never move outside of grace. Peace is the Hebrew word for greeting. Peace be with you. Shalom. And the flower of peace grows out of the root of grace. We can't know genuine peace until we know the source of grace that not only saves us, but sustains us. At the moment of our salvation, we found peace with God, and we became his sons and daughters. And we experience increasing peace as we have an increasing understanding of God's grace and our standing in his kingdom. The great message of the Bible is that God has himself provided a standing for sinners. Not through our own self-generated works and efforts, but through a righteousness or a right standing that was granted freely to us by His grace. So we're actually going to be talking today about obedience. But I don't want you to get confused with obedience and standing. Because we can be standing in His kingdom, we can be saved by grace, we can be clothed in His righteous robes and live disobedient lives. Maybe. I actually think that there are are some in the church, Big C Church, who prayed a prayer at one time when they were young, and they now just go live um, however they want to live. And there is no evidence of salvation when there's not um, growing obedience. Today we're gonna you're gonna see that you and I can experience increasing grace and peace in our lives. As we grow in our knowing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can live increasingly fruitful and effective lives as we learn more of His precious and very great promises. So let's look at today's passage starting in verse 3, chapter 1. 
It starts out by saying, by his divine power. That's the power of God. That's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But by the power of God, by his divine power, he has saved us and allowed us to know him in the most intimate relationships. Remember Jesus' high priestly prayer? I think we've talked about this a couple times in the last few weeks. In John 17, 3, Jesus prayed to the Father. Jesus prayed, and this is eternal life, that they know you. It's a, it's a relational kind of knowing. It's an intimate kind of knowing that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So God saved us or called us, if you will, to his own glory. And he called us to his own excellence. We are now image bearers. We were, we were born or created as image bearers, but we, we marred that image by our sin. But when Jesus called us to himself, and the Father called us to himself through faith in the shed blood of Jesus, we, we became image bearers. We've been called to his excellence. We are ones who are to live like Jesus and to represent him to the onlooking world. Believers are called to live our lives in, um, in submission and honoring and glorifying God. Not to gain anything, but because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. We have the full package. He's given us all the necessary resources to live our lives in a way that honors and pleases Him. And I want to just say this, that um, particularly as I've had the opportunity to be face-to-face with some people in the last few weeks that are in many ways helpless, that they've started believing the lies of the enemy. Um, they've, they've, uh, they've, uh, there's, there's depression and there's anxiety at different levels. And the resources that God's given us are his spirit, his word, which his word is made up of his promises, as we're going to see here in a minute, and his people. And there's sometimes that even though someone might have God's spirit and might have God's word and his promises, that, that they're going to need us. They're going to need help believing the truth of the promises and help, and help rejecting the lies of the enemy. So we've got the full package. We have received everything we need for life and godliness. So the question is, is how do we live this out? How do we live a life given our proclivity towards sin and towards failure and a tendency of our hearts to wander? And I just want to ask, and you don't need to shake your hand, but am I the only one in here that has a tendency to wander? Am I the only one in here that has a tendency to sin? Am I the only one in here that believes at times the lies of the enemy when I do fail? Peter tells us that, that this, this life of godliness, he tells us that we can live this life of godliness through knowing and believing, verse 4, his precious and very great promises that he's given us. What a description. They are very great promises. They're precious promises. And he's given us these promises not just to marvel at them, like, whoa, that's cool. Look at all those prophecies that just happened. But he's given us the promises to go, wow, God, that is cool. And I want to respond by living a life of obedience, joyful submission to you as a result of your promises. 
He says that we are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As partakers in the divine nature, we are freed from the bondage of sin and the corruption that is in the world, and we're now able to glorify our Lord in all that pertains to life and godliness. We're able to do that. As we receive, as we believe, as we're changed by the lavish promises of God, supremely the promises that, were, that are found in the gospel, that are found in the person of Jesus Christ, we are restored to the status of God-glorifying men and women who we were created to be. It's in receiving and believing God's promises that grace and peace are multiplied to us. And, and, and in order to live godly lives that are pleasing to the Lord, it starts with knowing and believing his gospel promises. We just had a promise. He promised that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. If you're stuck in sin, if, you are, um, if you're living a life, hey Mitch, good to see you. Can you scoot right up here? <laughs> you're good. It's Mitch Willett right here. That's what happens when you walk in late. That's good. Yeah. Jason, good. If you're stuck in sin, if you um, are stuck in any kind of sin, go back to the promises of God. Go back to his promises, what was accomplished at the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. Um, he's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. There's a promise right there. There's nothing missing. There's nothing missing. He's given you everything you need to live this life and to live it in a godly way. Not to earn anything, but because Christ has earned everything for you. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Let me give you some other promises to stand in. Colossians 1, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. And you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Just let that one saturate your mind and heart for a little bit. That means you needed delivering. It means that every one of us, me in the front of that line, was dead in our sins and trespasses. But in his mercy, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. That when we were sinners, he made us friends that he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. That he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. These are promises that will compel us to live a life of godliness. Satan has been defeated. Did you know, believer, that Satan can no longer control you? He, can, he, can, he, has, he cannot harm you. He can lie to you. He can deceive you. But the devil never makes you do it, like Philip Wilson would say. Satan has been defeated. And many of these promises have an already but not yet component to it. That even though um, that, that sin no longer controls me and sin no longer controls you, we still live in the flesh, do we, do we not? Where sin is still present. One day, 
So already sin has been defeated. But one day we're going to be rid of this flesh that has a, a proclivity towards sin, a tendency towards sin. And even though um, Satan cannot harm us, he's not fully defeated. He's going to be defeated once and for all and put away one day. And even though we live in the kingdom, we're going to live in a perfect kingdom one day where there's no sickness, no suffering, no more death. And he goes on in verses 5 through 7. He says, for this reason, for this reason, Peter tells us to make every effort to supplement our faith, to add to our faith. And I got to tell you, I'm a grace guy. I grew up in a very legalistic environment, a very legalistic church where I was told if I do uh, so many Hail Marys and I go to so many confessions and I do so many stand up and sit down and I go to church every Sunday and two other days of the week that I'm going to be good to go. And I've gone, I've gone completely over here where I, everything I see in God's word is that salvation has nothing to do with my efforts. Nothing to do with my efforts. I was truly dead. And that causes me to worship. To think that I was running in the other direction when God arrested me and caused me to repent and turn towards chasing him instead of my own desires. But then when Peter says that we're to make every effort to add to our faith, it's wrecking me in a good way. In a good way because because faith works. Genuine faith works. It doesn't just um, marinate in grace and go, God, I'm saved by grace. Thank you. I praise you. And I'm going to go live my life any way I choose. That's That's not the end result of grace. Grace works. Faith works. And Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. For what reason? Because of God's promises. Because we are partakers of the divine nature. Because we have escaped the corruption that is in this world. For these reasons, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Literally be diligent in living as one who is a partaker of the divine nature and who has escaped the corruption of this world. Live as ones as you already are. You are already a saint. He says, live like a saint. There's been conviction in my heart this week. And I want to be careful. There's no condemnation in your heart. But I say, Holy Spirit, if you want to convict us, have at it. But Satan will not condemn us. And this is not about... um, earning our standing in God's kingdom because we already stand in his kingdom? Peter's telling Christians that because of what has already happened, that is, knowing God and God knowing us, that, we, that we've taken on his nature and we've escaped the corruption of the world. We are to make every effort and apply all diligence to grow in our knowing. An abundance of divine grace calls for total dedication to the one who called us out of darkness. Not to gain anything, but in a joyful, loving response to what he's done in our lives. And brothers and sisters, it's a mistake to think that salvation by faith alone means that one's faith never needs to work. The gospel's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see the difference? Gospel's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. 
Because Christ earned our salvation for us. We earned nothing. In fact, our righteous deeds were like filthy rags. So we have, uh, we have uh, the gospel is against earning, but it's not against effort. The diligent work of adding to our faith flows from what has already been accomplished and who we are as a result of the grace of God. We are no, we are no longer sinners. We are saints. Let's look at these seven elements or qualities of diligence. I'm a bullet point kind of guy. I love this kind of stuff, even though it's like I'm not, I'm not, um, there's a part of me that goes, yeah, I, just, I just want to be motivated by the gospel. And we're going to see that Peter says that our, actually our motivation should be rooted in the gospel. Um, but this is, this is seven bullet points, seven elements or qualities of diligence in working out your faith. And, and all, seven of these sta- all seven of these stand on existing faith and are motivated by an understanding of who we are in Christ that gives us a desire to honor and glorify God. Not to earn anything, but because we possess everything in Christ Jesus. Have I said that a few times already? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. With virtue. First, we're to supplement our faith with virtue, with, which rests on faith in Christ. This is doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. Be nice to have a candidate like that, wouldn't it? Doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. This is acknowledging wrong, being quick to forgive, speaking well of others, and generally acting appropriately to all people regardless if they deserve it or not. It's living a life that is worthy of praise. You go, well, that's, are, are we supposed to have people praise us? No. But what virtue is, it's living a life that's worthy of praise. I was um, listening to, I think it was 89.7, um, 16 years ago. And I was actually talking to um, Kinsley about this the other day and, um, and another uh, friend of hers. And I was talking to a guy this morning about this as well. But this man by the name of Rick Ferguson was on the radio. Some of you might have heard him back in the day. And he was a great communicator of God's word. He would just drive people back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was killed. He was in a car accident that his younger son, uh, his youngest son was actually driving the car. And they, they had this funeral on the radio. And it was, and, and I listened to the whole thing. I never knew this man. I listened to the whole thing. And it was one person after another. It wasn't just his wife and kids. It was person after person after person that came up to eulogize this guy talking about his life and how God used this man's life to impact their lives. That's virtue. That drove me to the cross. It made me want to know what was special about this guy's life. I never knew this guy. But I remember listening to this funeral and just sobbing. I I actually drove down to the church the next day and I asked him if I could have a recording of it. Because I, I want to I emulate that. I was, I was describing this to uh, Kinsley and another guy that actually knew this man. They were actually at the funeral. And, and I don't even know why we were talking about it. This is a couple weeks. I don't know why we were talking about it. And, um, and I'm just talking, 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 kind of like I'm doing right now. Talk, 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 talk. And, um, and I look up and these guys, are, they're both crying. And I go, What's, you knew that guy. They both knew that guy. Now I'm talking to another guy in the, second serv- in the first service today. After, he goes, I was there. I was singing the choir. He's crying as he's reflecting this man's life. That is virtue. That is virtue that we're living a life in such a way that it brings glory to God. 
There's actually no better outreach strategy than we have than to live a, live a life of virtue, doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Knowledge. To faith in Christ, we added virtue. Let us add knowledge. This isn't experiential knowledge that saves us. This, in fact, is intellectual knowledge. This is knowing what is right and wrong. This is knowing what is lawful and unlawful for Christians. And it's not a right or wrong based on your subjective opinion or my feelings or assumptions, but it's a right or wrong that's based on God's word. So believers, the law, we're not saved by it, but we're called to live under it. That's worship to our king. When we live in obedience to his good and perfect laws, that's worship to him. You ask, how can I glorify him? Live a life that's obedient to him. Next is uh, to, to knowledge, Peter adds, self-control. It's knowing what buttons Satan pushes in your life to tempt you. It's knowing your blinder weak spots and steering, steering clear. It's not letting sin even get the smallest step. It's not saying I will give in this much, I'll walk right up to the edge of it, but I know I won't let it get me that much. That never works. John Owen said this. He says, Dost thou find thy corruption to begin to entangle thy thoughts? Rise up with all thy strength against it, with no indignation than if it had fully accomplished what it aims at. I'm a pretty passionate guy. I'm a pretty emotional guy in many ways. There's good and there's bad in that. Many of you experience that. I cry easy. I like get excited easy. I can, I can lose my cool easy. And, and I, God's grown me into being a, a self-controlled guy. And what I'm realizing more and more as I get older is that there's choices I've got to make. I mean, I just, I mean there's like at the, at the gym, there's certain things that I know are going to make me lose my cool. Um, I've got, a, I got a, a proclivity of my calf to cramp. But it usually cramps when I'm doing double unders. This time it cramps when I was doing pull-ups. Yeah. The outer man is decaying. It's evidence of that. And I jumped off the pull-up bar, frustrated, and I kicked the chalk bucket right in front of God and everybody. <laughs> so I go grab the broom and the dustpan. I clean it up. And, um, you know, I shamelessly just kind of uh, seek people's forgiveness because I did not honor and glorify my God. I, I, I walked right up to the line thinking that this time I could conquer it. Another example is, is that a, a very dear friend of mine sent me an email recently. And, um, and, and at the beginning of the email, it, it, it seemed like, at the beginning of the email, just a, that you ever got the email with a disclaimer? Warning, this is long, and, um, and, and I love you and all that stuff right up front. And I just knew it was going to be an email that, that based on my um, lack of self-control, that I might respond sinfully. And so I actually emailed uh, this dear friend back. And I said, I just want you to know that, um, that um, I'm, I'm not reading the email and I deleted it. You go, wow, that's really humble. But I said, can we meet on Tuesday? Because I want to hear it. I want to hear it. But I know me. I know me. I mean, some of you have been on the other end of that. Is that when I get an email or a text where I'm not able to like see the body language, 
you know, and know the heart. I know I should think, I should think, I should think upon what's true and right and pure. I know all that. But I also know that if I step right up to that line and I open that email, it's like, boom, I'm going to operate in the flesh. So I just say, okay, thank you, Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to exercise self-control. I'm going to delete it and I'm going to, um, and, and I'm not going to read it. And I did it off all three of my, my, my things, my, you know, iPhone, iPad and and actually, I just found out that you can delete it from one and it goes off all three. How do you do, Brandon? I'm old. The outer man is the king. He's like, he's covering eyes going, oh my goodness. That's, that's an example of uh, self-control. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Every temptation that you and I experience, is, it's common to other, pe- other people. If you're experiencing temptation, there's somebody else that's experiencing the same temptation. That goes on to say, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Folks, understand your shortcomings. Understand your blind spots. And, and ask the Lord to change you. But while he's changing you, don't walk right up to the line. Don't walk up to the line. You're going to dishonor him, and you're going to, and you're going to ruin your relationships. To self-control, we need to add steadfastness or perseverance. And perseverance or steadfastness is that spiritual staying power that says, I will die before I give in to sin. It's, 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 when, you, it's when you blow it, and you're going to blow it. You're not going to fall, but you might fail. It's when you blow it, instead of running and going fishing like Peter went fishing, you go back to the cross of Christ. You go back to the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for that sin. Thank you that you've given me the power to say no to it next time. Help me live in full submission to you. And then you go out and you do it again. And if you fail again, if you blow it again, you go right back to the cross. You don't give up. Because Satan wants you to give up. Satan wants to condemn you. And when you're condemned, you, don't, you lose endurance. You give up. Endurance or, or steadfastness stands on God's promises even when we fail. To steadfastness, we must add godliness. And godliness is simply a desire to please God by living obedient and submissive lives to him. That's what godliness is. And to godliness, we must add brotherly affection or, or kindness. It's a, it's a special love that Christians have with one another. There's a special bond. Uh, when my family gets together every other Christmas, all, almost 50 of us, there's a special bond that we have when the Hardys get together. I mean, there's cards and there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's fun, a lot of junk food. Um, we love each other. And in the church, it's the same way. We're brothers and sisters of the same father. Galatians 6.10 describes brotherly affection this way. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are the household of faith. And to brotherly affection, we must add love. We're to love others as we have been loved. And this is a love with no conditions. This isn't a love where we love the other person just because they've loved us more. This is loving others even when they ill-treat us. This includes believers and non-believers alike. 
So we are told to supplement our faith with these seven qualities. It starts with faith and it ends with love. Our faith is a result of God's love for us and it should result in our love for Him and others. Faith is the foundation or the root of all Christian growth. Love is our response. In verse 8, Peter says, if these qualities are yours and if they're increasing in your life, you'll be fruitful and you'll be effective. If these are yours and they're increasing, you'll be fruitful and you'll be effective. It's an indicator that we are standing in and believing God's very great promises. When we live out verses 3 through 8 as a response to our faith in Jesus Christ, we will increasingly grab a hold of the abundant life that God promised and experiencing increasing grace and peace in our lives. Verse 9. He didn't just say suck it up. He says this, when we, when we take inventory of our lives and we see lack of some or all of these qualities, Peter says this. He says it's because you've become so nearsighted that you are blind, having forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. So brothers and sisters, if you're lacking virtue, if you don't know right and wrong from God's word, if you do not have self-control, you're not persevering, there's not evidence of godliness in your life, there's no brotherly affection, you don't love well, it's because you become so nearsighted that you've forgotten it, that you were cleansed from your former sins. He's saying that when a believer, one who possesses everything for life and godliness, does not exhibit these qualities in some shape or form, it's because we only see what's in front of us. That's nearsightedness. We only see the trial. We only see the way we were ill-treated. We lose, we lose sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ that cleansed us from all sins, that gave us a different life, that gave us a new life in Jesus Christ. So if you're lacking in any of these seven qualities, don't be condemned. Go back to the gospel. Growing in our knowing comes from remembering that we were cleansed from our former sins. If you desire to have these in increasing measures in your life, remember the gospel cleansing of our sins. The gospel is not something you move past. It's not just something that you are saved by. It's actually something that we should remember and enjoy our whole lives long. It's in a fuller understanding and growing understanding of God's grace that we are changed from the inside out and that we have increasing desires to exhibit these qualities in our lives. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you never fall. What's it mean to confirm something? To prove it to be true, right? Confirm it to prove it to be true. And what he's saying is, is that when you practice these qualities, when standing in the gospel, saved by grace, responding to that by, by uh, growing diligence in these seven qualities, he says that confirms your salvation. There's actually no such thing as a believer that um, uh, professes Christ at age four and, and uh, lives a life of disobedience for 60 years. Certainly somebody can profess Christ and be saved at age four. But if you've got adult children, I'll give you an example, that professed Christ at age four, and they're living like hell, 
living in the world, question, tell them that they need to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. Paul says that. It's not up to you to judge their salvation. But if they're living that way, there's some evidence that they may not be the Lord's. Confirm your calling and election by practicing these qualities. Listen to James 2, 14 through 19. What, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone says, hey, I got faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Where there is growing fruit, there is sure root. Where there's growing fruit, there is sure root. If we practice these things, we will never fall from grace. We might fail. We're going to fail. But we won't fall. It might fail. It might, might fail, but we'll never fall. Verse 11, for, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This does not mean that if you work, 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 that you're going to make your way to heaven. I wrote this down because this commentator said it better than I ever could. He says this, Peter's words here bring joy to the weary Christian's heart. An abundant entrance into eternal heaven is the hope and reality for a Christian who lives an effective and fruitful life here on earth. Peter's point is that a Christian who pursues and practices these qualities will not, will not only enjoy assurance in the present, but a full, rich reward in the future life. And then Peter wraps it up, kind of the, uh, the drum roll. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and you're establishing them, he's talking to believers like you and I that know the truth. They've been saved by the truth. So if you're here at all today and you've been a Christian all your life, um, what Peter's writing to you, he says, he says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. You've been strengthened by the truth. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. He says, since I know that I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter, at the end of his life, is reminding them of these seven qualities. He says, I want, I want you to remember these things. I want to remind you of these qualities. Not just so that they remember, not just so that they can go, yep, you know what, I remember all seven of them. I can recite them. I can say them in group. I'm in Greek. I'm gathering people to study about them. Not that any of that is bad on their own. But he says, he says at the very end, look at that last verse 15. And I will make every effort so after my departure you may be able at any time to what? To recall these things. And to recall these things is active. It's to do these things. It's not just to remember, but it's to recall and do. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a strong faith? Do you have a growing faith?
Are you growing in your knowing? Do you have a strong faith, one where you know your standing as a result of nothing you did, but a result of God's kindness and mercy in your life? Do you have a strong faith, one where you are receiving and believing the promises of God? Do you have a strong faith, one where you are diligently supplementing your faith with these seven qualities of a strong faith? Is it any surprise to you that this church is made up of imperfect people and with imperfect pastors leading these imperfect people? And we're worshiping a perfect God. We are a church made up of imperfect people. Desiring to see increasing grace and peace in one another's lives. In order to do that, we need to remind one another of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remind one another that we are called to live in joyful obedience, submitting to God's holy and perfect word. Helping one another recall not only what the gospel saved us from, but what it has saved us to. And we're going to finish on uh, with communion, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And communion is, uh, is to remember. It's to remember what Christ has done on his finished work on the cross. Let me read this, 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One tangible way to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes is to live in joyful obedience to his good and perfect commands. To, if you have a desire to worship him, and praise Him, and honor Him, and glorify Him. It's by living a life of obedience to Him. Not to gain anything, but because you've already received everything through faith in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross.